Hello, I'm Finlo Castain, and welcome to a rather different Farmgate podcast. Today, we're going all homeschool to try and explain a bit about regenerative agriculture for primary school age kids. So if you're about eight years old, a bit younger, a bit older, then this program's for you. If you're an adult, then I'm afraid it's time to leave. Go on. That means you. Off you go. Okay, now the oldies are out of the room, let's get on with the programme. Regenerative agriculture is a new way of farming. It focuses really hard on the soil, keeping it healthy, keeping it covered, keeping it spongy so it manages water really well, and making sure that it's always bursting with life. Regenerative agriculture is about working with nature to harness the power of the sunlight and the virtue of the rain, and trying to encourage loads of different plants and animals into the farm system so that the land is alive and thriving, bursting with life. In this programme, I'll be joined by the brilliant Alex Tomlinson, an absolutely amazing mine of information. She'll be answering questions about the sun, the rain, dandelions and cow poo. And I'll try and pin her down on what's the most important animal in the world. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me. What I wonder is if you could just tell us all who you are and the all-important question, are you a teacher? No, first of all, no, I'm not a teacher. I'm actually a vet and I have a background in studying wildlife health and disease and conservation work. Okay, so could you tell me, just to start us off, what, in a nutshell, is regenerative agriculture? Regenerative agriculture is about rethinking the way we produce food from our land. It is essentially a redesign of our food production systems, focusing on rebooting the functionality of an ecosystem, which we've largely lost. Brilliant. Now, we've got some questions that have been sent in ahead of time by children from primary school. And I wonder if you could help us to answer them. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I'll do my best. How does the sun make food? So this is a a really interesting question and it is about the ability of plants to make their own food, which we don't have. We have to eat food. Plants are extraordinary. They can use light from the sun, carbon dioxide from the air and water from the ground and combine those together using the energy of the sun to make glucose and oxygen. Now, is this that process that's called photosynthesis? It is. It's a big word and it basically means making food, making sugars from the sunlight. Yes, which is actually quite remarkable. So that's amazing. So that's kind of what we're, what you're saying is that the plants are like farmers themselves. Yes. And even better is that they, they are using something that's free to make food. The sugar is their sort of energy source, if you like. So it enables them to, to grow and also to put energy into their defences so it's it's the it's a building block. So it enables a, a plant to, to grow more leaves and grow more roots and get taller. So when you say building block, do you mean like Lego that these are different cells that are building up to make that whole plant? And that plant could be an enormous oak tree, or it could be something as simple as grass. Absolutely, yes. I mean, each each plant will have its own DNA, which will direct how it grows and what it grows into. And when you say DNA, that's kind of like a set of instructions 
like you get with Lego, um, a set of instructions for building your own body structure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's like a sort of a recipe almost that directs what gets built and how the plant grows and what it grows into. Do farmers have to water the fields? So thankfully, in this country, mostly not, because we have a climate where it rains throughout the year. When rain falls on bare ground, the water can run off the surface or it can evaporate very quickly. If you've got a really nice field full of lots of grasses and broad-leaved plants, then when the rain hits those, it slowly trickles down and reaches the soil surface much more slowly than if there was nothing growing. So that's the first thing that's quite important. And the second thing is that if you've got that picture of lots of different plants growing at lots of different heights what you see above the ground is sort of mirrored by what's going on under the ground so underneath the ground there's also lots of roots going down to different depths and reaching out in different directions and there's lots of biology going on under the ground as well basically life So that would be lots of bacteria, lots of fungi, lots of things that eat those. So invertebrates, worms, beetles and mites and all sorts of living creatures and critters. And they're all actually helping each other. I mean, some of them might not see it like that because it might involve them being eaten. But indirectly, they're all working together to create this lovely, rich soil that has lots of little pockets of air in it. The health of the soil is one of the really key elements of regenerative agriculture, isn't it? And we talk about the soil carbon sponge. What does that mean? The soil carbon sponge is when you have a really healthy soil, it will have a lot of what we call organic matter, this life. And within that, you've got lots of air pockets and you've got lots of little clusters of material. And that all enables, when the water comes through, it all enables the water to to literally be like what happens when you have a sponge. So it can hold the water, which is really important for the plants. Otherwise, they can't can't photosynthesise. They need the water to grow. Are things like dandelions, dock leaves and nettles weeds? Okay, great question. No, they're not. In regenerative agriculture, we start to look at things in a different way. And if something is growing somewhere, it's telling us something about the environment in which it's growing. So every plant has a set of conditions, a set of needs, if you like. If a dandelion is growing, then that tells me that that soil is well set up for dandelions. And that's usually quite poor soil. So if you look at paths, sometimes you might see dandelions coming up out of out of nothing. They've got these really long tap roots, if you've ever dug one up, and they can go right down and source nutrients that way. And the dandelions have a function, don't they, when those tap roots are going down they're actually helping to take that soil which has become poorer quality perhaps because it's been walked on too much or driven over too much and it helps to break that soil up again so that other things can get down in there too absolutely yes so it it is it is nature doing her thing mother nature doesn't like bare ground so she will always start to populate it with things And, and very often those are the things that we call weeds so actually what you're describing to me is that these various different plants that you see in a field and these things that often a lot of people might refer to as weeds are actually clues and so you as the 
farmer are a detective trying to work out how to make your land as productive as possible. And these dandelions or nettles or dock leaves are giving you clues about the quality of that land. But not only that, they're helping to um, to break up the soil and restore that land. But won't they just carry on growing? Won't you just end up with a field just covered in dock leaves? In the short term, like in one year, that might be the case. But then what will happen is because all those tap roots have, have gone down and they're starting to build soil life underneath the surface, then that enables other plants to grow. Those dandelions or docks or nettles don't have such an advantage because other things are able to grow now. And so you start to get many more species and that's something that we call diversity and biodiversity. I'm sure that's a word that, that you will have heard. And that's a really, really good thing. And that's what we're trying to get to with regenerative agriculture. The more species you have of different types, what will happen is that they will all grow at different rates. So they'll all have their own little season, if you like. They'll all have different leaf shapes and heights and when you have that sort of thing going on you can use the sunlight much more effectively because you haven't just got a couple of blades of grass all at the same height you've got lots of different like solar panels really in the field and it makes it much more efficient at using the sun's energy what happens to all the cowpats and the other poo Well, this is all part of what we call cycling. So this is basically nutrient cycling. Nothing is wasted in nature. And all the nutrients that the plant has gone to all that energy to make, the cow comes along and eats them and digests them. And then out comes the waste. But it's not waste isn't really the right word. It's the bits that the animal doesn't want. And they end up sitting on the surface of the grass. And then in a really good meadow, in a really good field, there's lots of bacteria fungi and invertebrates and particularly dung beetles that get in there and they break up that poo and they absorb all the nutrients themselves and they basically start to recycle that poo. So what the cow's actually done, or the sheep or the other grazing animal, is to take that carbon, take that that grass and it's turned it into a great big pizza which is delicious for all all kinds of mini beasts and micro creatures and they're going to eat it themselves and transport it and move it down the roots of dandelions and all these other things so that those nutrients are going to start getting back into the ground. Yes, the whole thing about regenerative agriculture is trying to work with these systems and to support these cycling, recycling systems. What we really want with regenerative agriculture is not to have to add anything ourselves. We want to have a system that is functioning so well and recycling all those nutrients and holding on to the water and holding on to the carbon in the soil so that we don't have to add anything to the system to make the plants or help the plants grow. What's the most important animal in the world? I don't really like that question because everything has its place. But there are some species, some animals that are perhaps more, not necessarily important, but they have more of an effect on everything else than than others. An example on the land would be wolves. So wolves are a top predator. So they're right at the top of the food chain, if you like, and they eat deer. 
And places where you don't have wolves, you might have too many deer. And that might cause a problem because they overgraze everything. They eat too much of the of the plants. So where the wolves do exist with the deer, they actually change the way the deer behave. So they don't eat that many, but they do make the deer bunch together and move around. And that means that they don't hang around in the same place eating their favourite plants and overgrazing them. So that can have a really good effect. And when you mention that, actually, that links to uh, mob grazing, which is something that you tend to associate with regenerative agriculture, where farmers are trying to recreate the role of the predator. You mentioned deer, but if we think about, you know, the big grand American plains where herds of thousands of buffalo used to roam, they would they would herd together because in that way they were better protected from predators like wolves that would try and pick off the young or the, the less healthy animals. And so in regenerative agriculture and mob grazing, you're clustering, you're bringing those cattle together. Yeah, and it is, it's it's like I said earlier, it's about trying to mimic what nature does because nature definitely knows better than we do. But if we do that with the cattle, it means that they don't, they don't overgraze plants and they don't get to be so choosy about what they eat so that individual plants don't get overgrazed. Which means they don't get sort of eaten right down to the nub, right down to the soil. And it's much easier and faster for that plant to regenerate itself to carry on growing so we've had an animal from the top of the food chain what about an animal from the bottom oh well i suppose we could go underground and we could look at the earthworm so the sort of slippery wriggly earthworm which is a really important animal in the soil because well people call them um, soil engineers because they're going up and down they're moving things around they're distributing all the nutrients and the bits of material and and just doing a really good job of, of recycling really within the soil so yeah earthworms are really important what's the best sort of food to help nature well, I think the easiest way to think about that is try to mimic nature. So in terms of kind of plant foods, if you like, I would look to trying to eat seasonally. So things that grow naturally um, at, at certain times of year. So that's one thing you can do. And the other thing is to particularly when you're buying meat or vegetables or grains or wheat or anything really, is try to find out as much about how it's been produced as you can. If it's been produced from a system that is trying to be regenerative, then that's a good thing. And of course, that's much easier if you live in the countryside and you can go to a farm shop or uh, or to a, a farmer's market. But even if you're in the city, you can still look on the label to get quite a lot of information so you can see whether that food is in season. Are there any other labels that we can look for, Alex? Yeah, you can look for, um, particularly on vegetables, um, organic, which means that there will be far fewer chemicals used in the production. And that would apply to um, to meat. And also for meat, you can look for welfare assurance on the labels. So RSPCA assured is one of them and free range for your eggs. None of these are absolutely perfect. They don't tell you everything, but they help. And in terms of the things that we've been talking about today, the regenerative agriculture, this is new. This is quite new stuff. So it hasn't really made it into any labelling yet. So the only way to, to get to that is to try and talk to direct to producers if you can. So as with 
with everything, it's very, very difficult to buy brilliant food. What we can do is try and buy better food. And so that means looking for labels, looking for seasonal food, looking for food that hasn't travelled very far and trying to find food where if animals are involved, that those animals have been reared to good welfare standards. That's about all we've got time for, but just before you go, we've got a couple of experiments to help you understand the soil carbon sponge. The first helps to explain the function of good soil in holding on to water. The second will help you test the quality of the soil in parks or in fields near you. If you have a sponge, it can be a bath sponge or the kind of sponge that you use for washing up. And if you put that onto the kitchen surface and then pour half a glass of water onto it, then that sponge will hold that water, won't it? But then we can also extend that experiment to show what happens when soil's compacted. Because if you press that sponge down, then the water is let out. And if you pour more water on, it just it won't hold any more water. That water will just run off. And so just with that one experiment, we can show what happens with the soil carbon sponge when the soil is really healthy, but then when we press it down and lose the water, we can see what happens when the soil is being compacted, for example, by tractors running over and over and over the same patch of land. Now, there's another experiment, and it involves a chimney or an old bit of drain pipe, and I wonder if you could tell us about that experiment and what it shows us. What you do with your drain pipe is you push it into the soil surface so that it's it's not just sitting on the top. You have to sort of make sure that you're going down into the soil and you're not just pressing on top of the grass. And then you can pour some water onto the top and you can time how long it takes for that water to disappear. And if you take it to different locations and different types of ground, then you can time it in these different places and see how, how long it takes. And in some places, it might take half a minute to disappear. And in other places, it might take ages. And sometimes, in some places where the soil is really compacted, you can go off for lunch and come back again and it still hasn't drained away. And and so what's that telling us? Is it good when the water goes quickly or is it bad when the water goes quickly? Generally speaking, if it's disappearing, then it means it's going into the ground and that's where we want it to be. We don't want it to be sitting on the surface where it can evaporate or then or just run off and be lost. Well, that's it. The end. You can let your adults back into the room now. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and I hope you've learned a little bit about regenerative agriculture. That's farming by harnessing the power of nature. By farming in this way, farmers can reduce their costs, improve their efficiency, and produce better food. At the same time, they'll help absorb more carbon to fight climate change and help restore the balance of nature. In other words, everyone's a winner. I'd like to thank my guest, Alex Tomlinson, and thank you for listening. Farmgate is a partnership project for Farmwell and FAI Farms. We're funded by Sankalpa, and you can join the conversation on Twitter by searching for Farmgate Podcast. I've been Finlow Costain. Bye for now. <laughs>